Today's podcast is brought to you by Eat, Drink, Live Local. Local Cleveland business here, they're all about supporting and advocating for businesses, nonprofits, and local live music here in the Cleveland area. They do offer a $30 VIP card that includes a ton of special promotions and offers for all of their clients. Also, completely free to sign up as a business to be a part of this. And I personally think the best part is $10 VIP card purchase goes to a local nonprofit that changes every month. Please sign up. You can go to edllusa.com and check it out. So some asshole in this dumbass shirt starts speaking to me as if it's a conversation in during one of my bits. He's heckling. I, I shut it down, moving on. This motherfucker walks on stage and like he's coming from the side in my peripherals. He's juggling bowling pins onto the stage as if to Sandman from the Apollo hook me off of like to mercy kill my set. And my buddy Dave, he's sitting there, he's the one that opened, he goes, oh hell no. And he like wrangles this guy off. That's the most disrespectful thing anybody's ever done to me. This is my least favorite show of my career. Welcome to But Are You Happy with Roger Berry. We are here at the Kenilworth Tavern in Lakewood, Ohio. They were kind enough to let us set up here tonight and uh, do a podcast. We are lucky enough to have Rocky River Native. You will see him at Hilarities on 4th Street all the time. You will also see him on the Barstool Cleveland podcast. And he is a comedian and a great one. Brian Kenny, welcome. Thanks, man. I've seen you perform before and I always enjoyed it. I had told you before. Were you opening for Mark Norman? Yeah. You opened for Mark Norman. My kid's mom at the time, you got off stage after Mark did, and she goes, man, that is like, Brian Kenny's way better after you told your <laughs> locker room story. We were having a good time with that, but I've honestly heard great reviews on you, and I always enjoy uh, watching you. Thank um, you. So you're a Rocky River guy. Yeah. Tell me about growing up in River and how you got into where you're at now with comedy. I mean, my family, my parents are originally from Euclid and that's where I was born. We moved there when I was like nine years old to Rocky River, um, just a public school system. 100% for the public school system. Euclid was, was rough and remains rough. So, and they weren't gonna pay for Catholic school. So we went somewhere with a good public school system. Rocky River is definitely a culture change. <laughs> a bit of a culture shock. Dude, from what year did you go to River? Uh, I went to St. Chris first. Okay. So I went to grade school at St. Chris and then I went to Rocky River. I graduated in 2006. No way. So you really, that changed everything for you coming from Euclid. That was like a totally different culture shock, especially living probably the neighborhood in general was a change. Dude, the, the neighborhood definitely. And like my parents don't have a bunch of money. We, were, we always had whatever we needed. Right. But like I was I was in like third, fourth grade and kids are wearing Jordans and like Oakley sunglasses. And like I'm asking my parents for these things. And they're like, no, like, you're going to grow out of them in three weeks. <laughs> we're not going to spend $150 on shoes. We're gonna use something cheap and like you know looking back on it now it's like yes of course that's the answer but yeah seeing these things around me i had no idea fucking north face fleece was a 250 dollars item <laughs> dude but you come into rocky river and that's like my parents i don't come from money at all my grandfather and they did like really well uh-huh. yeah i know i know the whole thing go to river it's like patagonia's you got north faces everybody's wearing nikes i got a six-year-old and he was like hey daddy i want a pair of jordans and i'm like dude you want me to spend i mean it's a hundred bucks and he's, you mean, you literally, like, spot on, like, three to six months? Yeah. And you're never going to see the money again? You're not going to resell yeah. the shoes? No. Like, he's just going to beat the shit out of them, and that's it. So, yeah, man, Rocky River is a totally, totally different ballgame. I ended it? up finding a really good group of friends. I kept my nose out of trouble in Rocky River. Rocky River was a bubble. Like, oh, there yeah. was... I really can't think of anybody who got into hard drugs. Like uh, uh, some kids smoked weed. Uh, everybody, you know, I really didn't drink in high school, but like everybody drank in high school. So, but nobody did anything harder than that. It was crazy. You graduated in '06. Yeah. So you didn't see what we saw then, because I graduated in '11. So we had 2010. I think there was. There's been a couple in each grade. Heroin overdoses. But that was before you then. Yeah, man. There was none of that. Wow. There was none of that. You didn't see any of it? There was was this crazy bubble, yeah. That blows my mind just because it was so prevalent when we were in school. And you could pretty much tell who was doing it. Like, junior and senior year more was, like, obvious. Of, like, this is the person that's getting fucked up all the time. 
But that blows my mind that there was none of that. In like was, just such a small time frame. It was really easy to like. I, I found a, a real good group of friends, really fucking funny dudes who I like. None of them were doing any any dumb shit. Well, really dumb shit, but like harmless dumb shit. Right, right, right. And it, I just kept my nose out of trouble and made it through. And you know, I went to college. My stepdad was a river cop, so I used to get to hear all the fun stories yeah. from everybody. You know, whenever got you know, something happened or that was like somewhat relevant. Or he could talk about he would always be like oh this happened and you're just like and you kind of knew which kids were going which way mm -hmm. which in a lot of ways was helpful as far as like navigation of who you should hang out with and who you shouldn't yeah you leave high school do you go to college after this yeah i went to college i actually played a couple years of college football i went to school on a football scholarship to a small catholic school in erie pennsylvania called mercyhurst Okay, I've heard of it. I've heard of and it. And that went very poorly, but I did graduate in four years. <laughs> Everything was paid for. That's nice. Um, what position did you play? Offensive line. Okay. You're thin. You were an O-lineman? Dude, I'm 250 right now. Are you really? Yeah. Well, you look good. You wear it well. I, think, well. I appreciate that, but like, I was over 300 at that point. I'm a type 2 diabetic from it. No way. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Two bad knees. I have horrible arthritis in my shoulder. I'm fucked up. How was keeping weight on? Was that hard? Or no, did... they, they wanted me to even lose weight, but like my knees started going, but like I, I had played very successfully at 300 pounds and I'm like, no, I just need to get myself right. And then like, this is how I play ball. I'll be fine at this weight. And keeping weight on was never trouble. It was keeping weight off. Really? Cause you see, the reason I ask is cause you see like O-linemen for instance, Got the NFL, right? Joe Thomas, uh, perfect example. Dumps a bunch of weight. Is that easy for them, probably, or, or are they working at that? No, they have to force feed themselves. Okay. But like, I ha I still have the appetite of a 300-something pound person. I eat very healthy, but like a lot of calories. Damn, I didn't. I would have never guessed I'm that you're 250 fuck though. All the time, yeah. Well, that's good. Do you smoke weed? Hell yeah. Yeah, I smoke a shit ton Hell of weed. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's I've cut it. down quite a bit on that, just because like I, you know, I got a day job. I got to wake up in the morning. I yeah, can't be groggy. Of but like, yeah, pretty pretty often. Do you think pot is more, do you think it's less harmful than like alcohol? It's not even close. Yeah, I agree. It's not even close. I think it's amazing. I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, the, you know, you're 21 years old, man, or whatever, you go walk into a store, you know, booze are no problem. You can't, you know, drive after a certain amount, you, you're incoherent. I mean, I just struggled with like a whole addiction problem over the last like probably a year or so. I was I was hitting the I was hitting the alcohol real hard. I was hitting the cocaine real hard and um, just doing the wrong thing and being stupid. And now that I I don't drink, it's made you know quite a difference. Good for um, you, man. But I do I do thank you. I do smoke weed still, and I think that's like my one vo vice where I'm like, I like that. I enjoy it because I'll smoke pot, dude, and I'll just hang out. I'm I'm chilling. I'm I'm not bothering anybody. I'm way more apt to be at home. Yeah. You know, and it's just a more it's just a more comfortable place to be. But yeah, I'm all about uh, promoting the the marijuana agenda. This state is is so stupid with how we do it. Like the I, I had a medical card again. I have quite a bit of chronic pain, so okay. I, I got one very easily. Anybody can get one really easily. But so less than a one minute phone call. Yeah, but you do have to go to the, at least a, a primary care physician and say something hurts. Have them put it on the notes and then screenshot that and send it. If you don't have that, they won't give it to you. So but like that's it. They didn't do that for me. And really? I swear to God, I just got my card. But I'm on probation in Lakewood. They were like, hey, if you're going to smoke pot, you have to have a medical card. And I was like, okay. So I go and I get my medical card. And I went in this place called uh, Nug MD. Okay. Okay. And they were, I think it was 150 bucks for the card or 200 for the for like the consultation and all that yeah. stuff. And then it was another 50 to actually get the card. For the state, yeah. So I apply. I get a call. And they're like, hey, this is when your appointment is. Just you know, stay on the phone, whatever. I was on the phone for 40 seconds. I remember looking at it and being like, no fucking way. And the doctor like was like, hey, yeah, like you have anxiety. No problem, here you go. Okay. And like two days later I had it. But I didn't think anxiety qualified in the state of Ohio. I'm, I could be a total liar. I might've said something else, but I didn't say pain because I don't really have pain. But I, that's probably the easiest said, one to lie about, but like I certainly wasn't lying. And I, you know, I hadn't seen a, a, a doctor for it in a while, or at least I had in like, Nothing was on my, you know, chart for UH. They were they were terrible about that. <laughs> so I had to go back to a primary care and just have them say like, you know, shoulder hurts. And See, then you know, I, I did end up like following through with an orthopedist on that shoulder. There's, there's arthritis and a torn labrum, so there's something. You really fucked it up. What, was That's that, the good shoulder now. Was that during a game? No, the left shoulder I fucked up during a camp before college even, and then the right one was like just a whole bunch over time. That's fucking crazy. I'm sorry. And what are you going to do? You know, you're going to be like fucking John McCain. 
I'm gonna get a replacement. <laughs> like, I'm, well. they, no, they told me they're probably like you're probably gonna need a replacement before 40. Wow, uh-huh. that's crazy. So like throwing a baseball is out for you. Out. Damn. I can't bowl. I can't throw a baseball. Like there's a bunch. I I couldn't even like throw to play beer pong. I was throwing lefty. No fucking yeah. way, dude. Anything above my head. We'll get that hurts. shit replaced, man. Hell yeah, I'm sure it's not cheap, but no, I got insurance. It's more like they said, you know, you're so young that if you sign up for one surgery, you'd be signing up for three or four surgeries because okay. nothing's permanent. I did not know that. Yep. Damn, it goes to show you how those injuries when you're younger can fuck with you down the road. Yeah, but like it's if you go to a doctor, you know, they said one surgery is four surgeries. You go to a doctor once, it's six different appointments. And then they fix something. Right. And like you're, you're paying out of pocket up to your deductible for MRIs if they do cover an MRI. I've tried the cortisone shot. They fucked that up. And then they charge me $800 really- out of pocket for it. Like uh, motherfuckers overall. The medical profession in general is overpriced. Hell yeah. Like it's fucking insane. Yeah. Um, I had a buddy of mine tell me, he's like, yeah, I went somewhere for like some sort of procedure. He's like, I was there for fucking 10 minutes. And, like actually in the doctor's office maybe 15 they said they like called it a surgery on his bill he's like he called and argued that and they knock it right down that's the other side of it they're not like they won't argue i think it's probably because they make so much money they're just like this isn't even worth it i argued with them about one because when i got my cortisone shot they charged me one like they itemized it so it's one one charge for the doctor's services himself there's another charge for the the materials that they put in me the cortisone shot and then there's another 800 charge which they called like the room fee and I'm like, I'm sorry, what is this? Like the doctor, he's paid, the, the medicine's paid for, what, what's, what am I missing here? They're like, anything done within the, the room is a separate charge. I'm like, you're telling me a doctor going like this with the needle costs $800? I said, yes. Isn't that fucking crazy? Mm-hmm. And it's bullshit too. Bullshit. It's, it's one thing to be crazy, it's actually bullshit. Yep. Um, and, I, and I don't have a problem with doctors getting paid a ton of money. I don't think that's a big deal, but I think the actual hospitals and those corporations fucking way overcharging. Be nice I, if the doctor spoke up about that, though. And that's it, right? And I, the cop out that I've always heard from anybody that I've acquired with that's a doctor, oh, we don't do, deal with billing. Exactly. That's what they all fucking and say. It's, it's just that. It's and I out. get that. I get you don't deal with billing, but like, don't sit there and tell me you love all your fucking patients. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then like, all right, we're going to make you better. But when you get home, I'm going to just shove it right up your ass with a huge bill. Yep. So I got to get your take on the Cleveland Browns this year. I got to know. I hate this fucking team. <laughs> I really hate this fucking team. I, re- I, I like the two guards and I like Nick Chubb. Okay. And I liked Jacoby Brissett. And that is it. Okay. No, Miles Garrett. No, Miles, Miles Garrett is very, very good. Okay. But Miles Garrett did a lot of dumb shit. He, he deserves... 100% blame for that car accident that he got in. That, that's all his fault. He's going to start talking about fans booing oh, after, yeah, after that bullshit. And then on top of that, like he's he's just he's not the best leader of this team, which is fine. He doesn't necessarily have to be that. But to to be calling out guys and and the different things he said all season, like he's just you're you're not doing that great, Miles. You're you're, no. you're a liability against the run. You're an elite pass rusher. And that's great, but like we need more out of you, and you need to keep your fucking mouth shut. I think it's got it's got to be more of a leadership role that he needs to step into. He ain't gonna do it. I know that's not won't. Miles. Because if he was going to, he would have already. Back to the Porsche, by the way. You gotta really fuck up to crash that car, by the way. I used to work for Porsche. Like those are some of the most responsive brakes out there. Yeah, that's a. Two hundred and probably twenty-ish thousand dollar car. You're calling them Porsche, so that's some insider kind of shit. It's a right Porsche, there. yeah. If you <laughs> if you were to actually like when you go to the training centers, whether it's in Newport or Atlanta, uh-huh. you won't say Porsche there. You'll be corrected like that. It's <laughs> like any true enthusiast is like it's Porsche, uh-huh. and they'll correct you. But um, I couldn't believe he crashed it because I mean, dude, even with summer tires, he'd have had to have been driving like a real fucking idiot. And I'm sure the tire tracks maybe show where he slowed down, uh-huh. you know, but you got to really like you got to be blindfolded to fucking roll that car. Specifically, especially roll. That's a real interesting take. And I, I'll tell you one thing about Miles Garrett. That one game, I can't remember who they were playing, but where he sat on the bench when the field cleared out. Those were the seeds of leaving planted in Miles Garrett's head. If yeah. next year does not go well, if it's a dumpster fire like it was this year, if Deshaun Watson's not panning out, I'm calling it right now. Miles Garrett asks to get out of town. I believe it. I believe it. Or force his way out middle of the season. Because you know Miles is not sitting there contemplating what he could have done better. Because no. he has a very high opinion of himself. He wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, man, if only I had done this, if only I had done that. 
could have affected the game. It was these motherfuckers are costing me my career and my legacy. That's what was going through his head, I can promise you. Do you think that when um, Clowney got booted out of practice, I don't know a lot about what had happened there. I know there were some choice words said by Clowney, but do you think that Miles like actually, like don't you think that's a role where you step in and you either would it defuse the situation or have that dialogue with Clowney and say, hey, listen, this is where we're headed or like some sort of leadership role? Or do you think it's that far gone within that organization already? I don't think he, I don't think that's him. I don't think that he's ever gonna assume that role. I think he's gonna be, He's going to play at a, an elite level, and he's going to be like, follow me or don't, right. but I'm going to do my job either way. I get it. I don't think he's that guy, and I don't think they have that guy or have had that guy. They may have been able to galvanize a little bit better around Jacoby Brissett if the Deshaun Watson coming back thing wasn't, wasn't looming the entire time. Of course. They realized he was a placeholder from the beginning. It's hard to really follow that guy to the fullest extent, but he's the most likable quarterback this team has had since Bernie Kosar, and he seems like a great leader. I really like the way that he played. They were 10th in offensive efficiency under Jacoby Brissett and then one of the worst under Deshaun Watson this year. Yeah, Watson's got rust. I mean, Yo, fuck rust. No... Six games. He had a full preseason. He had a full camp and six games. He wasn't hurt, so he could be throwing the entire time. That guy, there's, room, there's reason for concern. So I got to ask you that. So Deshaun Watson gets accused by all these women, and I have a strong opinion on this. Me too. Gets accused of all these doing the wrong thing with all these women. Two, three chicks come out, they're bitching about something, they've got a complaint. Okay, if you have 26 women saying that you did something wrong, I mean, somewhere within those 26, I'd be willing to bet something happened. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I just struggle from that point to get behind the Browns at all. You know? And I love the Browns, I love the team. I just, it's like you gave $230 million to some dude who like, if he was an average Joe, he'd probably be in fucking jail. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I wanted your opinion on that because I haven't really expressed that publicly at all. I've backed off, and I've expressed it very publicly. Okay. Um, I backed off emotionally from the Cleveland Browns. At first I said I'm not going to be a fan, but at the end of the day, the Cleveland Browns are an institution that remain. This is just the current guard of that institution. Right. So I, I really hate Deshaun Watson. I can't stand that he's the quarterback. So I've removed myself emotionally. I watch all the games still, but like, you know, that, that Jets game, they lose that in that heartbreaking fashion, fine. I was there with it my kid. It did not affect me one bit. Dude, I was there with my kid and my son for whatever fucking reason, dude. It doesn't matter who the Browns are playing. He roots uh -huh. against the Browns because I like the Browns. Uh -huh. So it's like just one of those things. And we're in, the, we're in the stands or whatever, and he's just fucking going crazy when the Jets are like scoring and stuff. Uh -huh. I'm like, dude, this six-year-old is going to get his ass beat yeah. up here. People are not happy in those stands. People are not happy, and they're uh -huh. fucking drunk, too. Who I hate the most is the Haslams. I think they're yeah. the scum of the earth. I think they, I wish you could fire owners. Anybody that doesn't think that they're the worst owners, and like people hate the Dolans. The Dolans are the best owners in Cleveland. It's not even the close. Dolans are bad owners at all. They're the best owners in Cleveland. It's not close. The Haslam's are the worst. They insert themselves into football decisions. Their win-loss record is abysmal. Oh yeah. Like in their tenure here, it's been a fucking decade now. They they have one playoff win. They have one decent team. That's With it. How many quarterbacks? Like you know who's doing a super interesting story is uh, his name's Joey Kinsley, Sir Yacht. Yeah. Um, he's interviewing all the Browns quarterbacks. Oh, nice. From, like, starting with Tim Couch. So he did Tim Couch, and then he just released the Ty Detmer one. Okay. So it's really interesting listening to yeah. these guys have this conversation about things that have happened, the different dialogues, and um, the different teams that they've each played with. Um, I was fortunate enough, my uncle used to randomly live next to Kelly Holcomb. Oh, nice. And so he was always, like, such a nice guy. So I'm, like, super tuned in to what he's got to say as well. But you're a big Cleveland sports guy. Uh -huh. We were in the World Series a couple years ago. We haven't gotten back there. The Guardians are my team. Guardians. I know. I love the hat. Guardians are my team, man. I was at Game 7. You were at Game 7. When Davis hit. I was at Game 1. I was lucky enough to get seats. I sat. That's incredible. Right behind home plate. Um, right behind Al Roker. That's a fucking, what, $15,000 seat? <laughs> That's so crazy. I used to do a bunch of stuff for Ty Lue. Okay. And so Ty had called me or whatever, and he's already at the game. He's like, you want to go to this game? I just had my son. And I called my mom, like, you got to get the fuck over here. I'm going to this game because I'll leave this fucking baby at home at this point. Like, I'm not <laughs> missing this, you know? We went down there. And I'll never forget finding out afterwards. Because, I mean, dude, they brought you ponchos when it started to rain. Uh -huh. and, like, the whole thing. I was like, man, I could have sold those fucking seats. But I would have never done that because that would have been a real fucking dick move. That was a tough series. 
like really any other team, and and I think we would have kept that home field advantage. But people have mortgages to pay. I couldn't believe how many Cubs fans were there. That's why, like they were, they were, like their cost of living is so much higher than ours. Right. That they all get paid more at their their regular job. So when they come here with eighteen hundred dollars to offer you for a ticket, is more or less like nine hundred dollars here. That's not even close. But like they bring that money here, they're, they're they're offering crazy amounts to people who have bills to pay, and it's like. A lot of these people, they didn't have a choice. I, I really don't blame the average Cleveland fan. Now, if you're already a rich person, and if you're making, you know, over a hundred grand a year, even if you're making six figures, I know it's not crazy these days. Yeah. But if you're making that and you're still selling that ticket for eighteen hundred dollars just because you want the profit, go fuck yourself. You're yeah. a terrible. Cleveland oh, I fan. agree. I agree. But you know, if you're a plumber and you had that ticket and you sold it for eighteen hundred bucks, I get it. You got mouths to feed. Yeah, and it's truly amazing how much tickets are now. Sometimes you can find killer deals, but there's other times, man, when you're trying to go to like a nice game or like a great concert. I went to the uh, Machine Gun Kelly concert over the summer, uh-huh. and I bought tickets, and I think I spent. It was irresponsible spend, but I spent probably like twelve hundred bucks on two tickets, Damn. not per ticket, but like yeah, total. Still. But it wasn't even like fucking. It was like right before VIP. Like we were close, but okay. great live show. Like uh-huh. even if you don't like his fucking music, the show is like absolutely epic i don't mind him you don't mind him no what kind of music do you listen to mostly classic rock and heavy metal okay so are you like a fan of like 90s music and shit like that some so. not the biggest fan like from that era like rage against the machine okay. metallica uh allison chains okay stuff like that there you go do you um so i, I want to get back to your comedy when's the first time you said i'm a comedian right uh-huh. or when you had to decided that you wanted to give it a shot when was that i was a senior in college and i decided like i I was staring down it was the height of the recession i was staring down graduation i had no idea what i actually wanted because like what i thought i wanted to do was to go into advertising and like write funny ads but that's not how advertising works (laughs) that's not at all how advertising works okay you don't just get to go into that role you go into shitty roles where you're mostly supposed to be able to do graphic design or you're just in sales it's one of the two so those jobs really weren't available either at that point and like i'm trying to decide what i want to do with my life in 2010 and i'm like thinking to myself like am i just like done am i just gonna work a nine to five and just live for the weekends for the rest of my life and i was trying to think of different things that i i could do that would be like a fun dream to chase and i i had said to you like you know i've I've very funny friends from high school some of the funniest fucking people that i've ever met to this day even being around professional comedians those people made me laugh harder and they always told me i was the best storyteller if we all did something funny and we were trying to tell that story to somebody else they'd say no you tell the story okay okay. so i just i got the idea like i think i can actually do this and i had been doing public speaking projects i was a, a marketing advertising business major i had done this long project is a group project we were supposed to present for an hour most of the people in the group were afraid of public speaking so i spoke for 40 minutes and at you that were never point afraid there was ever like stage fright no really no well that's a huge help that's a huge help because like i feel like to just have the nuts to get on the stage uh-huh. has got to be a tough one i would love to do one day like a live podcast but that's not bad you know, we, I th- do, we do this relatively frequently. I don't think, I think I'd be fine with it. I just think it, like for me, I think it just takes me in a minute to dial in. You just got to get in that mindset of like, why are these motherfuckers better than me? Like, yeah. why, why, why does this person get to hold that opinion over me? Like this, this slapdick idiot in the audience. So you just get into that kind of mindset of like, you're no better than me. Yeah, like who gives a fuck? I'm going to say my words. <laughs> like, what's the, where was the first place you did stand up? So it was in Erie, Pennsylvania. It's a place called Junior's Last Laugh. They, they would allow community members to sign up to MC a show. So I signed up and they're like, you can do five minutes up front. You bring up the feature act. You can, if you want, do a couple minutes between the feature and the headliner. And most people have horror stories. My first night went great. Really? It went so good. And it was in an actual comedy club. What was your, like... I mean, you're going to be a little nervous, of course, before you go up there, or not at all for you? Yeah, there's a little bit, and, you know, I, I had a few drinks, and, and just a couple <laughs> does the job. That's awesome. So you're just good to go. When, um, so, you, so you start doing comedy there. Um, was there any comedians that you, like, looked up to that you tried to model stuff after, or you liked their style? Yes. Or their timing and stuff like that? Brian Regan and Kevin James. 
I love Kevin James. Kevin James, Sweat the Small Stuff, was a massively influential stand-up special for me. Really? I watched it so many times. I had the DVD, I just kept playing it. And that's where- And really I watched King of Queens like crazy. I just, I, I'll tell you what, I didn't realize, I think it was probably two or three years ago, I came across him on YouTube, uh -huh. doing comedy. I wasn't really big into comedy. I mean, a little bit, but I didn't realize he did comedy. And that's really where it kicked off for him. Uh-huh. Yeah, he is, he's a fucking genius, man. God, that Sweat the Small Stuff is so good. It's clean. Both him and Brian Regan are clean. And, you know, I'm not the dirtiest of comedians, but I'm definitely not clean. I, I do curse. That's just how I speak. Right. But, like, I, I don't get, for the most part, super graphic or fucked up. Those are the guys I look up to, the super clean dudes, because that's very difficult to do. Yeah, you're right. I never thought of it like that, where it would be. It's a lot easier to get make somebody laugh with a dirty-ass joke versus, like, a clean one. Yeah. There are some weak comics out there, and there's some weak nationally touring legendary comedians that will not let their openers curse, even though they curse. And it's because they want their curse words to pop harder. Because if you haven't heard it the entire show, once they get up there and say fuck, it's gonna automatically cheaply get a laugh for them. That's kind of some bullshit. It really Especially is. Especially for like somebody opening. I'll tell you off camera who it was. It was okay. a big name. Yeah, I, I believe you. Has there ever been, and I, I don't obviously, no, no expectation of naming names here. You ever met a comedian and you're just like, or how many times it happened? You're just like, this is not who I thought you were. You're a fucking asshole. The, the guy I'm talking about. Really? Right now. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's him. Yeah. You ever been booed off stage? No. Never. Have no. you seen it happen? Now, now, just a couple weeks ago, I did a holiday party. You know, people that book these holiday parties, they don't know how, how comedy works typically. And they want us to do a three hour show, which is. Absolutely not. We talked him down to 90 minutes, which is the very max that a comedy show should be, unless it's like a, a, a legendary Dave Chappelle type who could probably get away with two, two and a half hours. He is a legend. We get to 90 minutes with them. My buddy, we're at a country club in this like private room downstairs. My buddy goes up and does a half hour. It does not go very well. I get up there and then about five, 10 minutes in, most of the crowd is speaking at full volume. It's just very clear that the people at this party don't care about a comedy show at all. They don't right. want to listen to the words. They want to get drunk. They want to bullshit with their buddies from work. Fine. Like, I, you're going to pay me either way. I'm just going to do it. Half hour in, even the, the couple people that had still wanted to listen stopped listening, and I'm getting nothing. So some asshole in this dumbass shirt <laughs> starts, like, speaking to me as if it's a conversation in, during one of my bits. He's heckling. I, I shut it down. Moving on. Nobody's listening, but I'm still saying the words. I'm contractually obligated. You need 60 minutes of me. I'm yeah, just going to say words until 60 minutes like is done. Not. Yes. That's awesome. this, is, this is my job. You're going to pay me. And I, I'm saying this into the microphone. I'm going to get paid either way. I'm going to say the words until this is over. Right. This motherfucker walks on stage and like he's coming from the side in my peripherals and he's juggling. He's juggling bowling pins onto the stage as if to like... Sandman from the Apollo hook me off of like to mercy kill my set and my buddy Dave He's sitting there. He's the one that opened he goes. Oh hell no And he like wrangles this guy off it didn't hit me at first because I was just in autopilot I'm just saying the words yeah, but like afterwards. I'm like that's the most disrespectful thing anybody's ever done to me This is my least favorite show of my career. How many people were there ballpark? 40 smaller crowds a lot harder than bigger crowds not always I'm assuming then with that answer you could do like like a 7 p.m. Show and an 8.30 show and have two totally different Absolutely. Yeah. And is it? And do you base your material that you're doing, do you base that off of the vibe that you're getting? Could, could you ever change it up like mid-set? Are you like, this isn't the route I want to go with these people? Sometimes, absolutely. Sometimes like, you know, you're, you start off and things that hit at a high rate, because I do it enough and have done it enough that I know the material works. I've gotten enough good responses at such a high clip that like I'm not going to start doubting the material. Right. But in certain situations, if I go up there, there's certain feeler, feeler bits I'll do. Some things like in certain sets, I'll say some things that kind of test whether or not they've got a bit of a darker sense of humor, whether or not they like something that's kind of dirtier. So I'll dip my toes in a little bit. And if I get the kind of response I'm looking for or not, I'll pivot from there. Also in Cleveland, if, if things in the beginning don't, don't go well occasionally and relatively often, I'll go into some pandery Cleveland stuff, which I've, I have very good Cleveland material. You have amazing. I 100% agree with that. Um, yes, you have amazing Cleveland material. And if my Cleveland material doesn't work in Cleveland, I'm like, well, fuck these people. It just yeah, wasn't meant to be. Bunch of losers at yeah. the fucking show at that, at that point. What about new material? Like, how do you, you know, maybe write a new joke or something funny happens in your life? Kind of a two-part question. Where does uh -huh. inspiration 
come from for new jokes for you or is it, is it more of just like a uh, I sit down and set aside this time to write jokes and then also when you incorporate the new material into your into your show is it hard to find that spot where that timing is perfect and that transition works and all that stuff yes that that part of like the timing because like if I'm trying something new especially if I'm like at a club no matter where you are, there's a set amount of time. So sometimes I'll go in thinking that a set's gonna be shorter and I'll run the light by three, four minutes because I do longer bits. As far as the rest of it goes, I don't physically write anything. Everything lives in my head, everything marinates in my head. Most of my best thoughts are like on the way to the show really? or sitting in the back waiting for waiting to go up. That's where my best writing and actual creativity happens. And I think it's like a natural Adderall of the adrenaline of like, if I don't think of something right now, I'm going to go up there and die. Really? So you, it's like that. It's like that uncomfortable feeling almost like brings the best out of you. Yes. I'm the same way. I love it. Pressure creates diamonds, man. Man, I do. I really love that, the way you just said that. Because it's so true, man. When, when shit happens, whether it's like you're in a pinch at a comedy show or like something in life happens where you've got to make it happen. Yep. And when you buckle down, you can really... My entire academic career. I waited until the very last moment to write like every single paper. Really? Yes. So would you call yourself a procrastinator? Big time. Big time? Me Big too. time. I've been a lot better about it, but it's tough. Like, I've noticed that, like, being organized is a lot easier, like, when you, when I write stuff down. Uh -huh. But, it, dude, it took me, I mean, I'm 29 now. It took me fucking forever just to get to that point. Thank God for my wife. She's she's the one who, like, like my life would be in such shambles if she wasn't there pushing me every step of the way. I'm a child. You do most of your shows at Hilarities, or do you venture out elsewhere? No, I, I venture out. Um, the road is not worth it to me right now. Oh, that's what I was going to kind of go on at. So, yeah, go ahead. I, I dip my toes in. The, in the, the road for a little bit back in like 2016 you know I'm, I'm a diabetic with a bunch of health problems you know diabetes arthritis you know physical issues so back in 2016 I had a, a day job that gave me health insurance and they were super understanding and supportive like they like if I needed to go I needed to go and there was no problem that's so I would I go and I'd take 10 days off to you know go do a bunch of gigs in upstate New York and shit like that I'd, I'd Spend my weekends doing one-nighters in Wisconsin. I'd drive 12 hours, do a show, drive 12 hours back. I loved it. That was the life, man. It was great. That was what I was shooting for, and, and it was something to build on. They hit hard times at that job. They laid me off. I had to find another job. Only thing I could really find was a pretty serious job, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a year to, to get into this. I'm going to make a decent amount of money here, and then I'm going to start kind of dipping my toes back in there and get back out there. And then COVID hit. I'm relatively immunocompromised as a diabetic, but I take pretty good care of it. My wife, on the other hand, has several things that had us very scared of COVID. So we shut down fully. We both, we moved in together two weeks before COVID hit into a 750 square foot apartment and we went nowhere. We, we didn't even go to the grocery store. Everything was delivered. Really? Yeah, we shut down hard. And I, I found a job that I left that job because they didn't believe in COVID. And so I found a job where I can work from home. I worked at car dealers, car dealerships at the time. And uh, I finally got out of the car business, which I'm super pumped about. Good. Fucking I hear the hours are terrible. Dude, it's the hours suck. I mean, not everywhere, but the people are fucking horrible. Yeah. You get these guys that like, you, they make like, I don't know, 100, 120 a year. It's like, that's a fucking livable wage. Yeah. You're not the shit. They kind of walk around like that. Now, like, I'm probably talking shit about myself because I was a manager, but yeah, it just is not a great environment. Kind of a depressing environment. It's a caricature, man. The greasy car salesman. It is, dude. And I was in the service department, so people just scream at you all fucking day. I get that now. I'm okay with that, though. I don't give a fuck. I used to not care, but here's the thing with the car, car business is you get surveys, right? Yeah. And these surveys are like a weighted scale survey. So what'll happen is, is like if somebody comes in, gets an oil change, or we'll use oil change because it's simple, and it takes longer than like 45 minutes to an hour, right? Mm -hmm. They get a survey and they ask you all these fucking questions. Like, did you like the waiting area? Did you like the fucking coffee? If they don't answer like good on these, that fucks you over. And that's like the yeah. majority of your pay. <laughs> your coffee. Yeah, dude, I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, man. When, you were, when I was at Mercedes Benz, there, were li there was literally a question on the survey like, what do you think of our waiting area? And you would just get fucking railroaded because some lady didn't think that you know, the fucking $200,000 waiting area was good enough for her. <laughs> I'm not kidding you at all. It was crazy. Bernie Moreno actually ended up putting a coffee bar in with like high-end Colombian coffee. 
imported from Colombia, way fucking unnecessary. I think he may have done that just to alleviate that part of the surveys from sales and service because people were just fucking smacking us. People were the worst. So, yeah, no, dude, fuck the car business. But it was it's kind of like a depressing place. So it kind of leads me to this. So, like, a lot of comedians that I've heard of or listened to interviews on, stuff like that, they kind of come from, like, a depressing background, right? Or maybe, like, weren't, like, the sad, or, like, you know, or yeah. maybe insecure is not the word, more introverted, I suppose, Yeah. around others. Do you relate to that at all? Because you don't, I mean, from just talking to you, you would never know. But I've got to ask, because I always do, like, on a mental health scale you know where is every where do you where do you sit i i sit high on the mental health scale um i am i, I can be introverted okay i am not the most even though i have a an ad campaign that i did where i was a actual literal social butterfly <laughs> i'm not the biggest <laughs> of social butterflies i do prefer just me and my wife like she is my favorite person like i get along so well with my wife i just prefer to be with her I'm not somebody who's going to seek out, like, I'm not trying to make a bunch of new friends all the time. Right. I'm not that guy. I got, I got a bunch of great friends that I never get to see. But as far as everything else goes, like, I have a wonderful marriage. I'm so happy in that. My parents are amazing. I have the two most supportive, wonderful, like, best role model kind of parents imaginable. Both my siblings are fantastic. Life is really good. I'm not complaining. Really, any sort of issues that I have is, like, I, you know, I wish I could get myself to do social media more. I hate it. There's only certain avenues you can do to like break out as a comedian. One of the bigger ones and I guess technically easiest ones is social media and I just can't bring myself to do it. I fucking hate it. What do you not like about it? The arrogance of promoting yourself bothers me and so does just how fake everything is. Oh, Everybody is, is just putting on these airs that I refuse to do. Like, you know, that's not your life. That's not how you actually feel. It's that's amazing. not who you are. It's always those rich girls from Rocky River. They start like fucking yoga businesses and they move to like some paradise or whatever. Yeah. And then they put on there, they're like, you know, you got to do this for your mindset today. It's like, listen, I'm in fucking Cleveland, Ohio, working a regular ass job as a single dad. I want to fucking hear about your yoga stretch this morning. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I, comedy, like, you know, <laughs> People share every last bit of their lives that like that's just not me I'm not the most I'm an open book in a conversation but like I'm not gonna put that on social media it's weird to me I when I was doing like heavy cocaine over the summer mm -hmm. and drinking yeah it's like it's a balancing I don't know if you've ever done it but like you know like, one up, line one time that's a good line you don't only go up so high before you're like you don't want to go up higher you know what I mean you gotta balance it out with some booze dude I'd put fucking anything on social media when I was fucked up <laughs> I swear to god man you're lucky my dick wasn't swinging around on social media dude I'd have gotten banned yeah man. I was getting fucked up because like you just get to that point where you know how it is you drink enough and you really just don't care I had done plenty of like ADHD drugs oh yeah some good Adderall one one yeah one one line of cocaine was all I did because I'm like I, oh yeah I definitely let this ruin my life but then I would also do a decent amount of Adderall, Vyvanse, cocaine, not cocaine, uh, Adderall, Vyvanse, um, Ritalin, you know, whatever I can get my hands on at that point. If there's one thing it wants, it makes you want to do, it's talk. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do a cocaine podcast with me. We'd be here all night. I've done sets on, on Adderall, and I like, there's so much setup. <laughs> there's so much like fat in the stories because I just keep wanting to say words and most of them are filler. You're not getting to the point at all. Vivans, dude, I did that. I've only done that. I Like, when I do drugs, dude, I don't know what it is with me. I hit them hard. I, like, you know, I'm not the guy you give, like, a line of cocaine to. I want the whole fucking bag. Yeah. And I was doing, I did Vivans, I think, in the end of high school. But that come down is horrible for me. I was, like, dude, ready to die when I came off Vivans back then. I didn't have it a terrible experience. The, the come down off of, like, like, ecstasy when I tried that one time, I was 20 years old. That was the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life. You know, a lot of like famous comedians and stuff have gotten into drugs and all that stuff. Uh -huh. Did you ever have, I'm sure you've met plenty of comedians and, that have come through Cleveland. Who's your, who's your favorite that you've like met, been able to interact with, and you're just like, this is a great person? Or just not even your favorite, just like who have you enjoyed the company of? There's a few. My one buddy who is a, like a talented working comedian is probably my best friend in comedy. Um, is Mike Paramore. Okay. He's amazing. I love that guy. Um, people from out of town, 
two of the, the most underrated comics in the country are Kevin Bozeman and Chad Daniels. They're okay. both amazing. The most fun I had in a weekend was definitely Joey Diaz. I've heard Joey Diaz. I had such a great time. And, you know, a lot of these people I work with, you know, I'm just one opener in a random city for them. They do hundreds of shows a year. You're a great opener, though. I appreciate that. You are. You're fucking hilarious. I appreciate that. I wouldn't that. just say, I'd tell you if you sucked. I, like, you legitimately, you're good. Thank you. I, we, I always enjoy that. Not everybody. Uh, some, some of the, some weaker headliners don't care for that. Okay. Because I will challenge them. There are a few bigger name comedians that, like, I've had a real hard time following me. And they didn't appreciate that. <laughs> I'll be the first one to say it. I think when you, like I, we talked about at the beginning when, when Mark Normand was there. And, and this was something that Brianna had said to me at the end. I believe everybody in the room felt the same way. Because his comedy is not for Ah, uh, I'll tell you what. Yeah, it's not for everyone. And, like, I'm sometimes I'm going to have things that go out that, that, that I say in a show that are going to resonate with people harder. There are some comedians that are pretty damn famous and pretty damn successful that I will tell you, like, I am better than them. I don't want to sound arrogant, but, like... I believe it. I, I feel that way and and the deepest of ways. Mark Norman is not one of those people. <laughs> Mark Norman is damn good. So he, really he good. just like, if, if you didn't like me better than Mark Norman, that's probably just because, you know, what I said resonated harder with you personally, but like that guy's a beast. Does that feel good when you go up on stage and you're not the headliner, you open or you're hosting or whatever it is? And you're like, I got you tonight. Like, yeah, until like after the show, somebody comes up to me and tells me to my face with that person next to me that they like me better. Because that doesn't bode well for me. And in my my business, I'm trying to like, you know, network to a degree. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just like fucked at that point. You're not trying to throw in anyone's face. Uh, do you intend on traveling at all to do comedy shows or better question? But you, you don't have kids, do you? I don't, but we are trying to set ourselves up into a position to get there, yes. Well, congrats. It's Thank great you. being a parent. You'd be a phenomenal father. Thank you. You'd probably raise a legend of a fucking comedian, too. We'll see. I hope so. <laughs> Girl or boy. Oh, yeah, I got to ask. Favorite um, woman comedian? Because that's a totally different thing as well. I've noticed where like a lot of a lot of what I listen to, I like guy comedians. That's, you know, uh -huh. Rachel Wolfson. I like listening to her. I think she's fucking hysterical. But there's like... You know, Amy Schumer, when she always, you know, makes me laugh. Do you think it's all material-based or, like, do you think women are as funny as guys? No, like, I, I think that the uh, that stand-up comedy is a very, very hostile environment for a woman. So the ones that actually do make it are just the ones that, that keep going with it. That's why you're going to see more men because it, like, it legitimately is just easier for men now right now it is it's probably the best time to be a female comic because people do have that mindset of wanting diversity within their lineups now so for the first time ever i'm certainly not complaining about it but like that that it is getting better as far as bookings for female comics so okay. that's great as far as my favorites go around here there, there's some amazing ones like mary santor is very funny uh wanda mayfield is really really funny Nationally, Michelle Wolf is very funny. Lisa Traeger, Megan Gailey, Beth Stelling. There's a lot of really good ones. I would, uh, Taylor Tomlinson, I've worked with her. She's great. I think Nikki Glazer's great. I've Nikki worked with Glazer's her a couple times. Hilarious, yeah. I used to open for Nikki Glazer, and like the crowd would be very female heavy or girls on dates, and I would absolutely clean up for like three three months on tinder afterwards really i would clean up You're on just tinder afterwards yes it. dude i can't go on tinder anymore it's a fucking dumpster fire on there I'm, i met my wife on bumble god that's so funny what is so when do you do you make fun of people in the crowd no like i don't care what they have to say because some people <laughs> i don't want to like, empower comedians them. that i've seen have like they'll pick on you or i mean if you're making noise or whatever that's fine but yeah. i'm saying just like kind of this is part of part of what I get, you know what I mean? Part of my act. There are comedians who it's a skill set in and of itself where they will have kind of almost canned, so to say, uh, crowd work, where they, they have certain things that work almost all the time. They're, they know there's gonna be an old guy in the first couple rows. They know there's gonna be a young couple on a date in the first couple rows. So they'll have things that like feels like it's happening in the moment, but it's not. It happens show after show. Okay. Some people do live in the moment. Some people find some ridiculous person, they go after them. 
very rarely do I unless I can't ignore the person. Like if it's something so ridiculous, I have to say something. But for the most part, I'm proud of my material and I don't care what these people have to say. Yeah, and I good. don't want to empower that one weirdo in the crowd who then wants to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation as I'm trying to entertain 300 people. Yeah, because you do see that. Like as soon as you acknowledge it, it gets worse. Yep. That person now feels like, oh, they want to talk to me. It's like, yeah. no, I want you to respond specifically when I want you to and nothing else. Yeah, just shut the fuck up and sit the fuck down. Yeah. As far as like long term or short, even short term goals right now for you as uh, a comedian, a professional, a soon to be hopefully father. What are, what are your goals? You know, have a, have a child with my wife when the time is right. We just want to be responsible financially. I can tell you, you're making a good choice. I was 22 when I found out. <laughs> God, that was fucking. I've been crazy careful. So th there's absolutely that. I would love to get into a position where I could be full time comedy. For me, my, my path has to be different. If you're going to just hit the road there's a point where you are mostly spending money you're not making it the beginning the wages for a feature act and for a headliner that's not a draw or a national name have not changed since the 1980s not even adjusted for inflation it's typically a hundred bucks for a feature act sometimes they'll put you up in a room sometimes they won't 150 to 250 mostly for a headliner now there are other avenues like a college gig will usually pay $1,000 per gig, but you have to put up a couple grand to go audition for people of your own money. And if nobody books you out of that audition, you eat all that money. So that's brutal. Cruise ships are kind of difficult to get into and it's a rough life to live, but those are about three grand a week, that's decent. And then there's corporate gigs, which vary wildly, but they're very difficult as well. So actually making money in comedy is very difficult unless you've been on TV, unless you have at least a half a million followers on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok. And that's where your challenge right now, because you fucking hate social media. I hate social media, <laughs> and the road is not financially viable. The one avenue I'm trying right now is trying to get this barstool thing off the ground, and in the meantime, I'm just gonna do my best at what comes my way in comedy. I wanted to talk to you before we, you know, finish, but I so want- everybody, no, please follow, follow me, even though I don't post much, I am Brian Kenny. And yeah. then follow uh, the, every Barstool Cleveland account. We're trying to make this a real thing. Listen to Pound Town Podcast. Dude, we, that's we do well that, 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 uh, that name, Pound Town Podcast. I can't remember that myself. Is fucking awesome. Thank you. That is fucking awesome. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about that. Mm -hmm. Cleveland Barstool. Uh -huh. How fucking cool. It's so much fun. I love the podcast. It's, it's a great listen. You guys are absolutely fucking hilarious. Thanks, Will's man. hilarious. How'd that get started? Whose idea? Where's that going? I want to I wanna know a little of everything. Will, Will's point, man. Say? Will's point, man. Will, uh, Will got signed on as, as a blogger and then was like, hey, guys, I don't want to just do this. I don't want to just write blogs. I want to, you know, he, he's seen Barstool Chicago, how big that got. Yep. Barstool Philly. He knows what the Cleveland fans are like, the Cleveland market's like. And he said, I, I think we can get something special going here. We've been just kind of working, trying to get noticed, trying to build everything up. It's been a grind. We've done a bunch of dumb shit <laughs> and a bunch of great shit. And I'm, I'm proud of what we've done. I think it's awesome. And it, it's like a big challenge, a little outside your comfort zone, probably. For sure. Yeah, I like, dude, I never fucking hang out in the flats. I got to go do live events in the flats. I hate that part. That, I bet, is tough. Didn't you guys interview the drunk dude? I couldn't make it to that, but that's my boy. I've known him for years. That's Tony. He's the best. Oh, really? I love that man I, like, so much. I kind of felt bad for him because I was like, oh, man, like, he doesn't give a fuck. He is the sweetest man you'll ever meet. Really? He is just the best dude. He's, he's great, but he goes hard yeah, when it's dude, time to go he hard. He was fucked <laughs> up, dude. He was fucked up. <laughs> it was so great to just see the comment section after the initial, like, you know, all the, all the tweets responding were like, I've seen that guy before, and then video <laughs> evidence. Like 18 different people had their own shit of like, yeah, I've seen that guy before. So he's just been this silent legend this whole time. He's like, I just never forget seeing the video. I don't remember who posted it to begin with, but it was on Instagram. Uh -huh. I was like looking, I was like, that dude is fucked up, like fucked up. But you know yeah. what? That's the life of a Browns fan, man. You know, that's the life of a hardcore diehard. I'm here till the end. I'm going to get super fucked up with the game, Browns fans. He's, yeah, he's he's the best. I love that guy. <laughs> Nothing but positive things to say about Tony, That's the amazing. wobbly drunk Browns fan. That is awesome. If you right now were to like rate your happiness in your life, family, friends, work, um, like on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put it? I'd go a 9. That's awesome. Yeah. And what, if anything, could you think 
you could do to improve it? Swallow my pride and try social media out. I think you should also put like, you know, those YouTube shorts. Uh-huh. You should do, you should make some of those of your comedy, dude. My comedy's not you? short though, man. Everything's so, that's my, my problem as well is like, everything is meant to be okay. 10, 12 minutes long. But you tell great stories. That's the thing. And I appreciate that. But like, that's, I'm not a quick hitter kind of guy. It doesn't lend itself that well. And like, I think that my comedy best lends itself to 45 minutes. I think I am a, a solid headliner. And I've kind of been that way since pretty early in my career and that things build upon each other. And I've always been writing four longer sets as opposed to a five, a five minute set. I'm interested to see, because you know it's something really cool about you with everything you have going on. You're one of those guys that just figures it out, right? Like it's gonna happen one way or the other. So I'll be interested to see what you do to accommodate it. Because you're gonna figure something out, right? I, I, yeah. I kind of liken myself to, uh, and I, I hate to do it, but Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, hey, man. I'm, I'm in the backfield slowly <laughs> waiting for that hole to open, and then I'm going to hit it hard once it, once it does. I've had a couple opportunities come to me that, like, I tried to hit the hole hard, and they just weren't the right one. But, I mean, I'll just keep going. Like, I, I love doing this. At the very worst, this is a solid side hustle that makes a, a healthy side hustle amount of money. It just doesn't make full-time money right now. And I, hopefully it does. You're good enough, for sure, in my opinion, Thanks, to man. be a full-timer. I mean, that's a no-brainer to me. And that was from even seeing you a couple years ago. So I couldn't imagine how much better you've even Most gotten. of it now is about my wife. Oh, God, dude. I got it. When do you, go, when do you, uh, so when do you perform that? Let's plug yourself, because um, I, I want everybody to know. I got a private thing this weekend. Like, I just got done doing a bunch of hilarities. I was there New Year's. I was there two other times in December. So I'm waiting to hear back on my dates currently. Um, those are always the best shows. And I, I never have promoted myself at Hilarities because, like, they sell tickets anyways. Always. It, it, I've always kind of looked at it at plugging my Hilarity shows as just I'm bragging. But, like, I need to stop that because that's when people are like, well, when are you going to be there? I'm like, well, I was just there. Yeah, dude, just, I would just, I mean, even throw it on your story. Yeah. But, like, I can be, like, a narcissistic fuck, so I don't really mind, like, th for me, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you don't have the ego. You got the confidence, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. You just don't have, I, I think you should definitely, yeah, to promote yourself. If anything else, like, it'll be great for all of us that do love watching you just to at least know, like, oh shit, what do you got nothing going on tonight? Let's go see Brian down at fucking Hilarities. Yeah, I'll, I'll work at getting better. I got a few things. Uh, I have one in Indianapolis I'm really excited about. Oh, where? I can't even remember the name of the venue. I will be posting about that, but my buddy Alex Price has been producing comedy shows in, it started Fort Worth and now Indianapolis for years. He's one of the best independent comedy promoters in the country and he's got this one show. And if you look at like the list of headliners, it's everybody that's next. It's really? everybody that's next. All the names that you're gonna know, some of that you already do. And I'm pumped to close one of those out first week of February. I've got a show out kind of past Sandusky. I think it's called like Green Springs. Okay. I've got a show at what's it called? There's a uh, an apartment building, the Athlon. Okay. I'm I'll be doing that on the 18th. An apartment building? Yeah, it's an apartment building downtown. It's <laughs> so interesting. Some some two people that put on shows around town, they live there. They want to put on a show. They're paying me. I'm, fuck yeah. All right. Dude, fuck yeah. Go do it. Um, so that's about it right now. Good for you, At least you, that I can man. think of off the top of my head. I think it's cool to hear about all the stuff that you're doing, all the stuff you're looking forward to, and then on top of it, be like, feeling good. I feel great. Good for you. Um, well, I definitely, one of these days, definitely want to have you back. I love talking sports with you. Hell yeah, man. I enjoy it. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to the Kenilworth for coming in. There are specials here Monday through Friday. So please come into the Kenilworth and hang out. It's like a family atmosphere in here. It's a really great bar. Especially thank you to Brian Kenny for coming in, spending his valuable time with us away from his wife, who I'm sure he wants to get back to as soon as he can. She's so fucking weird. I... <laughs> I walk in today and she's watching a World War II documentary series. Like I've never heard her talk about any interest in World War II at but all. But those are the fun she's surprises, fucking, right? Like that's awesome. She's super weird. She loves professional she's wrestling. Like an she's like human being. She's a strange person. I love it. That's fucking great, man. Yeah, it's great. Brian Kenny is the fucking man. Thank you so much for coming, dude. And we all wish you the best, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, you man.